You know that I do not believe in coincidence. Shared a few weeks ago that I believe in the providence of God. And a lot of those times God is just choosing to remain silent. Well, um, you know that also it was way back earlier in the year that I felt the Lord kind of knocking on my heart to say, we want to do this series of sermons on the book of Genesis with the story of Joseph and living out God's dream, his plan, his will for your life. And never could I have ever planned that on the day that we finalize these sermons on living out God's dream faithfully to the end, that we would have some of the men in this church that would be here whose lives represent faithfulness in every aspect of their life. Good to have my father-in-law, your former pastor, Claude Likens. If there's ever been a faithful man, he's it. But it's also good to have a man of ours, Stan Bowers, who's here today. And he's got family here with him. It's great to have every one of you with us today. Thank you for being here. And Stan, I did not lie to you, but I misled you a little bit. I did take a survey. I called one more person to find out what their favorite hymn was. But there was a reason I was calling you to find out your favorite hymn. And I told him I was taking a survey. And I did. I called Sue afterwards and I said, hey, I'm taking a survey. What's your favorite hymn? So I did that. I did that. Well, the first hymn he came up with is a beautiful hymn. And he said, I don't know that many people would even know it. But the words are this, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. And I told him, I learned that song when I was in college from the Cathedral Quartet. And I loved that song. And there was even a season I, I did devotions. And that would be the start of my devotion. That would be the start of my prayer. Lord, search my heart. Make me clean. And so that's a great one. But then he said, but there's one I really like, and I thought we would sing it today. But first, we want to do this. Would you sing with me? Because yesterday, Stan turned 90 years old. Happy birthday to you. God bless you. And then we thought, yes? Oh, and we have a basket of carbs that people have sent to the church and brought in this morning for you. So this basket, if you didn't get your card in the basket, so Stan, we have a basket of cards uh, for your birthday. So God bless you for that. But then we thought that it would be kind of neat to sing this other hymn. And I, um, I actually took a class in hymnology in college. And my first church where I led worship, we were still a hymnal singing church. So I know how to lead hymns. All right. So I'm going to ask you, would you stand with me? And let's sing the first verse of Blessed Assurance.
seated. Amen. You know, uh, when he said this on the phone, he said, um, really? He said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That says it all, doesn't it? This is my story, that Jesus is mine. Thanks for picking that, because it's one of my favorite, too. And I think by hearing the crowd sing today, it was one of their favorites as well. Well, his son Mike is here, and um, the Lord's done something really kind of amazing this morning for me. Mike's a pastor, and um, Mike and I have been Facebook friends and sharing together a little bit, but I've never had the privilege of meeting Mike, and today he kind of grabbed me and said a few words, and he probably had no clue what they meant to me, but they were powerful to me. And I was going to start with this little joke. Um, you guys know Star Wars. And Luke Skywalker is sitting with Yoda. And so, Mike, you would be Yoda. And, um, of course, I'm Luke Skywalker. And uh, Luke does something he shouldn't have done and messes up. And Yoda <laughs> says, wisdom decision did not make, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's not the smartest thing I've ever done, getting up and pre preaching in front of Mike. You know, I mean, I've, I've done smarter things in my life. And, you know, I was going to just kind of laugh about that. And all. Isn't it amazing that even in just a funny joke that you want to tell, how the devil, the enemy, can immediately start saying, this is stupid of you. Who are you? Who are you to get up there and preach for any of these people? And then we sang that song. I am blessed, highly favored, anointed with the power of God. And so I kind of told the devil, who do you think you are to tell me that I can't get up there and preach? Thanks. Thanks, Lord. Thanks. Dolly Pennington was born in 1896. She was born into a Christian family, and she began to learn about Jesus Christ and learn about the Lord and, and work with children in her church and was beginning her life of faithfulness. She married a man there in eastern Kentucky in a little coal mining town, and that company then moved them to West Virginia to a town uh, that this owner had started a new coal mining business in, and her husband began working in a coal mine there. Unfortunately, very quick into their marriage, I believe even before their year anniversary, he passed away, became very ill and passed away. And Dolly Pennington tells the story that on the morning of her husband's funeral, she was very emotional, very distraught, and became very sick. And the entire day at that funeral, she was sick. She wasn't sick because of emotions, for you see, within a few days, she found out it was morning sickness, and she was pregnant. And her husband was gone, and she was just a teenager at the time. But she stayed faithful. She remarried, had eight children of her own that she raised in a very godly, Christian, spirit-filled home, two of which became pastors. She has grandchildren that became pastors that she was faithful to mentor and disciple. And... She raised two children that even weren't her own, but raised them in her home as her own. 
In July of 1996, she turned 100 years old, and that year she finally started showing her age. Up to that point, she still cooked for a son and family and did everything she wanted to do. But the worst part was her eyes. Her, she had had to have cataract surgery on both eyes, and I'll describe it the way Dolly did, is that every morning she would wake up and there would be scales, she called, on her eyes. And they would have to clean her eyes, still living at home, and someone would come in and they would clean her eyes, and, and she would say, yes, that's, that's good, I can see. She'd get on up and, you know, put a spoonful of lard in a pan to put her eggs in. One morning she woke up, just a few months short of turning 101 years old. And her eyes were cleaned, and un, not really hers, this was uncanny for her. She said, you know, I'm still kind of tired. I think I'd like to rest a little longer. And she laid back in her bed. About an hour later, she woke, and she said, I feel much better now. I think I would like to get up. And needed her eyes washed again. She said she couldn't see. And they, they said the, the scales, as she called them, weren't there. And they wondered what she was talking about. So they began to kind of wash her eyes. And this was the conversation that Dolly had that morning. Oh, I can see so much better now. Now there you see what a beautiful sunrise that is. Well, there is Pastor Mark Haney, you all told me that Mark passed away. He will be able to do my funeral after all. Well, there's my husband, who had preceded her in death by about 21 years, by the way. And then she stopped. And she said, oh, there's my Lord. And she lay back in her bed. And my grandmother received her reward that day. I come from a long line of faithfulness. And I'm proud of the heritage that's been left before me. But if there is anything that I want my kids and my grandchildren and generations that follow me to say about me, isn't that he was a good preacher or that he was a great dad or a great grandfather or any of those things, it was that he was faithful. He was faithful. Isn't that what we all want and desire in our lives? How can we finish strong being faithful to the very end? And this young man, Joseph, gives us an example of that. But so many in the Bible do. So many do. And we're going to be looking at that today. Look with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 50. And we're going to, to kind of see how Joseph ends his life. And maybe have an example of, of what we can do to finish strong as well. I'm going to start at verse number 22, if I can see. This is becoming a habit. Joseph uh, starts the story, Genesis 50, chapter 50, verse 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw, this important, saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Maker, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Those were his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid, and he will take you up out of this land 
to the land, he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And we know then the Exodus story, he was taken from Egypt, just as he had asked his family to do. You know, if you read, and we read some of these passages earlier in our worship time, but if you read in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that's really known as the hall of fame of the faithful. There are people listed there that are heroes of the faith. You have Moses listed there, Noah is listed there, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And that list could just go on and on and on of the faithful people that are mentioned in that chapter 11 of Hebrews. But that list, I believe, was not complete because even after that book of Hebrews was written, there were still people who were faithful to the Lord, who I believe are heroes of the faith. Many are in this room today. I shared with our elders this morning of any church that I've ever been a part of, whether it was being raised in a minister's home, whether going off to college and going to churches there or churches I've been as an associate in or pastored, I've never in my life followed in the footsteps of such great godly men in the pulpit, nor have I had the privilege of working with such godly, faithful men in leadership than in a church like this. Some of you that have been here for many years set the example, and our elders are following that example, and they're continuing to set the example for some of our younger ones. And we are, I'm proud of the fact of what we have of the leadership and the eldership that we have in this church and the love they have for the Lord and the faithfulness they have for the Lord. That list continues. I want to be on that list. I want you to be on that list. And all of them have the same thing in common. No matter what the circumstance of life, and, and some of these went through some pretty lousy circumstances in life, but no matter what the circumstance in life, they remained faithful. Even those that we've mentioned in this church, they've gone through hard times, but they have remained faithful. What will be said of each one of us? Will we be people who finished strong for the Lord? We may finish strong in our work. You know, I see so many, uh, even my friends already, I feel like you're not old enough to do this, but I have friends that are getting retired. You know, they've worked for a company 30 years and they're retiring out of it. And and I want to say, there's no way you could be doing that. And they're just heralded and highlighted and glorified for the faithful work they gave to the company. Good for you. But I hope you were faithful to the company because you were a faithful man of God or woman of God. And that's just the way you live your life. I want to be known as the person who was faithful to the Lord and to his calling on my life. And you know, the scriptures we read earlier... They compare this faithfulness, this walk in life that we have to a race, running this race, finishing this race strong. Now, I wasn't much of a runner in high school. I, I was a sprinter. I was one, you know, on the football team. I was fast enough that I could make the team, but I hated it when we had to run long endurance runs. You know, like my uh, friend that said he went out for the cross country team one year and he said, uh, God bless my dad. You know, he'd still be waiting there at the finish line for me after all the other families had already gone home and it was dark and finally I'd come around, you know, and, and that was more me. I didn't like those kind of races. And, and, and really, though, this race of life is that, isn't it? It's a marathon. 
How faithful will we be? Will we be ones who are going to finish strong? Well, I've got an outline in your bulletin. Let's look together at this message that the Lord has given us of finishing strong. Uh, what, what does it mean to finish strong and how can we do this? All right, so let's look together. Uh, first of all, let's consider this. There are hurdles to finishing strong. Now, what's a hurdle? Again, when you think about a race, we know what a hurdle is. You know, it's this large gate that is placed in front of the runner that he, you know, has to clear running, has to jump over that hurdle. I never tried that. I'm smarter than that. Uh, but from those who've done it, they say, you know, that's one of the most difficult things to ever learn how to do is kick that leg up and get over that hurdle. But isn't life full of hurdles, obstacles that are in our way? Things that always seem to hinder us and keep us from doing what we know we ought to be doing, what the Lord has called us to do. It seems like we know there are hurdles in our path. And so to, to get through these hurdles, uh, what, what are some of these hurdles? Let's identify them so that we know how to get through them. Okay, so one of these would be obedience versus disobedience. That's a hurdle that we've got to get over so that we can do what live God's dream like he wants us to do. I'm just going to say this. This is not a gray area. This was one of those black and white issues of the Bible. I can choose to be obedient to God, which means, by the way, I am being totally disobedient to the devil, to my selfishness, to the ways of this world. Or... I can choose to be obedient to the devil, to my own selfish desires, to the ways of this world. And if that's the case, then I'm being disobedient to God. There is no middle ground. You can't say, well, I'm not serving either. Yes, you are. If you say, I don't want to make a choice, that's your choice. And guess which choice it is? There's no gray area with this. You are either obedient to God and disobedient to the devil, or you're obedient to the devil and disobedient to God. And we struggle with obedience, don't we? An Ohio resident, born and raised, Roger Staubach. Does anybody remember Roger Staubach? You know, he, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, um, great player, you know, from Cincinnati. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but he played at the Naval Academy. Now, he had had success all of his life. He, he was successful in high school. He was highly recruited uh, to play football in different places. He chose to go into the Navy and played at the Naval Academy, did great there, uh, then went on and, and was, he was drafted, but he went on and served our country in the Navy before he ever went to play pro football. He said, when I went to play for the Dallas Cowboys, if anybody had a chip on their shoulder, it was me. Who's going to tell me how to run a football team? I know what I'm doing. I've done this all my life. I'm a great player, and now I've even served my country. He said, I was full of myself, and we weren't doing very well. We were losing. Now, his coach, by the way, was a great Christian man, Tom Landry. And he said, one day, Tom Landry came to me, and he says, you've got a choice. You can choose to do it my way. Obey what I tell you to do, or you are, I'm just going to pray God's blessings on you as you go play for somebody else. And he said, I didn't want to obey him. 
I thought I knew best, but I gave it a shot. We started winning not only games, but championships. And now he's a Hall of Fame quarterback in his life. And to this day, he's still running businesses, says it was because of that talk that humbled me to say, I better be obedient. If I'm going to succeed, I've got to be obedient to this. Do you know when Arabian horses are trained, they make these horses go without water for days. These horses are at the point of dehydration. And then they line them all up, and there's a command that they give that these horses know, and they take off running. And they put water trowels at the end of the track. And these horses, they can sense it. They know there's water, and they are so, they're dying. They're so thirsty. And they give the command. And these horses take off as fast as they can go. And about 20 yards short of the water, they give the command to stop. And if a horse doesn't stop, it's not a fully trained Arabian horse. Obedience. How obedient are we? That's a hurdle that we've got to overcome. If we're really going to finish strong, faithfully, to the very end in this walk of life with the Lord, living out his dream, his plan, his will in our lives, we're going to have to choose to be obedient. We've got to overcome that hurdle. So a next hurdle would be this. We have um, the hurdle of isolation versus community. Isolation versus community. Let me just say this. You're not alone. Every one of us are in this same race. We are all trying to be faithful. We are all on the same journey. We desperately need each other. If anything, we've been taught that this year that how desperate we need the community of the family of God. We desperately need each other. We were never created to be apart. As a matter of fact, when God was creating everything, do you remember he would say, oh, I created the sun and the moon and the stars, and that's good, 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 good. And I created the earth, and that's good, 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 and all the animals, and that's good, good, good. And I even created a man, and that's good, 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 good. But something was wrong. He said, all of these other creatures of the earth have a helpmate, except my man. And he said, that's bad. <laughs> he didn't want man to be alone. And by the way, you know why she's called woman, right? The Bible says, you can look this up, that the first time Adam saw her, he went, whoa, man. <laughs> that's why she's called woman. A couple of names that you're probably very unfamiliar with. Chris Chataway and Chris Basher. You've probably never heard those names. You've never heard them because in the world's eyes, they were not very important. But on May 6, 1954, a British medical student named Roger Bannister, which is a name you might know, was the first man ever to break the four-minute mile. Everybody said it couldn't be done. And he did it. He immediately gave credit to these two men. You see, they were called his pacers. And as he would run, one would run faster to pace him so that he stayed on pace. And then that runner, when he would get tired, would fall off. And this next man, after he had rested, would jump in to keep that pace going so that Roger Bannister never lost his pace. 
And he says to this, in his book, he says, I would have never ran the four-minute mile. I would have never broken that record had it not been for these two men who paced my course. I did that when I was, uh, I wanted to play football in high school. And I went to the coach. Now, our coach had played for the Detroit Lions, a, a lineman, huge guy, big muscles, you know, and, and great Christian man. And, and he said, I went to him. I said, I want to I play football for you. He says, how much do you weigh? I said, I weigh 119 pounds at a 28-inch waist. And he's like, well, here's some things we're going to have to do. And so we started on a program, and he built me up and got me ready. And we, we had to run a mile, and, and we had to do it in a certain time. And I never could get it done. I was always last one. It, when it came to a 50-yard, 40-yard sprint, I was one of the fastest guys on the team. But I could never get under the time for that mile. And so one day he said, hey, do you see Teddy? Yeah, he runs that mile like crazy. And do you see Danny? Yes, I know Danny. He runs that mile like crazy. And he says, I want you to be on their heels, and I don't want you to let them get out of your sight. And that next day, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> but I stayed right with them, and I, I made the mark. I don't have to run it ever again because I finally made the time. I probably haven't since then either. We need each other. We are not ever intended to run this human race alone. We desperately need our community. Look around you. Just look around you. And I want you to start looking at the people that have been here for you when you've needed them the most. When you're going through the most difficult time of your life, aren't these the people that you've called upon? Oh, I know we call upon family. Call upon some friends. But isn't it your church body that you always think, they're going to be there for me? We were never meant to be alone. So that's a hurdle that we have to cross. We've got to be able to, to obey, and we've got to do it together. All right, point number two. We need the right equipment to finishing strong. Need the right equipment. So what are some things that we can equip ourselves with to help us to stay faithful and finish strong. What are those things? Well, the first would be focus. We need to keep focused. You know, Stephen Covey wrote that book that everybody quoted, you know, main things, keeping the main thing, the main thing, you know, and, and everybody loves that. You know, I, I think it's, it's a scriptural, you know, message to us. We are to keep the Lord first and foremost in our lives. We are to focus upon him. What happened to Peter when he started focusing on the waves? He began to sink. If he had just kept his focus on the Lord. We need to keep the right focus. I didn't realize this was going to be such a sports-oriented sermon, but most of you have heard of Arnold Palmer, probably one of the greatest golfers to ever play. 1961, he's playing in the Masters. He's ready to win. He's on the 17th hole. And in his words, I hit the shot of a lifetime. He knew that shot has set me up to win the Masters. I was focused. And on the way up to my ball, one of my dear oldest friends who was standing in the crowd yelled my name. Hey, Arnie, great shot. And put his hand out. And I walked over and I grabbed his hand and I shook it. And immediately I knew I just lost my focus. The next shot went in a sand trap. The next shot went in the water. I lost the masters that year because I lost my 
focus. How many of us lose our focus? And that then just becomes a way for the enemy to get us focused on something else. And then we think, man, what, what am I doing? This is not being faithful. I lost my focus. Another tool that we need is Holy Spirit direction. Holy Spirit direction. And I'm going to break that up in two ways. We need, we need the Word of God. God speaks to us through His Word. And we need the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We need to be sensitive and receptive to how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Paul told the young preacher Timothy, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He was telling Timothy, do you want to be equipped for the job God's called you to do? Use your word. That will equip you. And then Jesus said this to his apostles, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not be representing his own ideas. He will be telling you what he has heard. You want to know what God wants us to do? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Be receptive to the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. We need to be in our word and we need to be receptive to what the Lord is saying to us through the Holy Spirit. Those are two ways we can equip ourselves, focus, and Holy Spirit direction through the Word and through the leading of the Spirit. The third way that we need this, this equipment, the third piece of equipment we need is a godly vision. Godly vision. Let me give you a definition that I really like because a lot of times when people think, you know, you're, when you talk about vision, you're only talking about the future. So I really like this definition. I'll give it to you if you want, um, but it's this. It's, it's vision is the ability to understand history, the present condition, and the potential of the church. To understand the history, the present condition, and the potential of the church. We can't have a vision without our history. We have an identity of who we are based on the history of who we are. We need to remind ourselves of that and keep that in place as we plan for the present and for the future. We've got to keep all of those things in mind. So a vision has to be able to know the history, the present condition, and the potential of what we can do. That's a great definition of vision. It is not mine but I'll put it out if you want it because I think it's a great one. We need a godly vision. A godly vision is, is perfect for the times, it's perfect for the church, and it's perfect for the people. A godly vision promotes faith rather than fear. A godly vision motivates people to action. A godly vision will require us to do some risk-taking. A godly vision glorifies God, not us. We have to equip ourselves with a godly vision if we're going to stay strong and finish strong. Well, let's look at the last point. The last is this. There is a reward for finishing strong. There is a reward. Joseph knew that God would deliver him. Look, he even said this to his brothers. You know, he told them, come in here, I'm going to die. And then he says, God will surely come to your aid. Joseph knew God is going to rescue you. Now, at that point, nothing was really that bad. They were still doing well in Egypt. They had not been made slaves yet at that point. They were still living freedom in the land of Goshen and enjoying life and, and the plenty that Egypt had to offer them. It's coming, though. It's coming, and the Egyptians are going to start making them slaves and using them uh, in, in Egypt. As, and, and you know the story then of the Exodus. 
But right now, things are good. But Joseph is telling them, God will come to your aid. I wonder then, in those 400 years, did there times when they thought, Joseph, did you know what you were talking about? My daughter shared with me this week, she's writing a paper in one of her ministry classes at school, and, and her idea of her paper was the silence of God. Do you think that those people at that time felt like God was being silent? Of course they did. Have you ever in your life felt like God is being silent? If you're human, you have. I have. But Joseph said it, God will come to your aid. And he did for them, and he always has for us, and he always will. There is a reward for the faithful. And let me share the two rewards that I believe Joseph knew and had lived it and experienced it, but he also knew what was coming. And he was excited about that. We know them too, but let me just remind you of them. The two greatest rewards that we have in being faithful is one, Jesus talked about it. I've come to give you life more abundantly. I preached a sermon one time called Enough. Enough. And my question to the people was this. What if God sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for your sins? That you knew, if I accept the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I will have eternal life. And then God said, but that's it. We're not doing anything else for you. Would it be enough? Would it be enough to be faithful to the Lord, knowing the inheritance of eternal life awaits you? Well, the answer to that is yes. Yes, it's enough. Because this is the blink of an eye to what eternity is. So, yes. You know how long eternity is, by the way, don't you? So, yes. The answer is yes. God's already done enough for me to be faithful in serving him. But God said, but that's not who I am. I love you. And so Jesus said, we've come, I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. Abundant means more. That's the life that we have. The reward of being faithful to the Lord is living in this abundant life. What a great reward. We get more blessings, more love. Is it harder? Absolutely, because the enemy hates us. Think about what we get, an abundant life right now. And then the second part of that is we get eternal life with the Lord. Joseph knew it. He knew, God has blessed me. Despite you hating me, despite you throwing me in a pit and lying to my father, telling him I was dead, despite being sold into slavery and accused falsely uh, with Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison and forgotten there, God has blessed me abundantly. I've lived an abundant life. My brothers, you've all come back to me. My family has returned. We've now received and given forgiveness and lived all these years in harmony together. I have sons of my own and their children. God has blessed me abundantly. And I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I think that's why he was even saying, take my bones out of here. This isn't my home. We have that same promise today. We can have abundant life in Jesus Christ.
and we have the promise of eternal life with our Lord. You know, I started this story with the story of my grandmother. She lived a hard life. I mean, can you imagine being about 14 years old? You're at your husband's funeral, and that's pretty much the day you find out you're pregnant. There, there is a funny story, by the way. She went to work for a family. They were having trouble. They had had a baby, and there was a lot of sickness in the family. They moved her into her, their home so she could basically take care of both children. One day she was out working in a garden, and one of my grandfather's friends said, I've got just the woman for you, and walked him up to a fence probably 50 yards away and pointed at her, and he said, see her? And my grandfather said, yeah, all right, I'll take her. <laughs> that's, that's true. I mean, that's true. And they lived a great, great life together. She had a tough time. She had a tough life. She stayed faithful. You see, she knew the hurdles. I think if you were to go talk to my father-in-law at 97 and stand at 90, they'd tell you about some hurdles. I think if you talk to any believer in Jesus Christ, whether they've been believing for 70 years or seven days, they're going to tell you about some hurdles they've had to overcome. They're going to talk to you about being obedient, not disobedient. They're going to talk to you about the things you're going to need if you want to finish strong. Stay in the word. Be sensitive to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Stay focused. Have a godly vision. Don't forget who you are, whose you are, and whose you will always be. And there is a reward, a reward for the faithful. I love the words of Scripture that says, and the Lord will place on me a crown of life, not only for me, but all who love his appearing. He's not delegating it to the angels. He's saying the Lord will give me the crown of life. That's the reward I want. It's the reward you want. Joseph stayed faithful to the very end. The very end. Despite everything he had gone through, you know people in your life who have stayed faithful to the very end. We have people in here who just, they, if you look up the word faith in the dictionary, there'd be a little picture of them, right? I mean, it's just who they are. What about us? What about you? So when I was looking at this sermon this week, and I want to conclude with this, I kept asking the Lord, but why do people stay so faithful? With all the junk they go through in life, with the world and the condition it's in today, why do people stay faithful? And I was in the shower this morning when I got my answer. Is this the Lord saying there's two benefits? Two benefits that people know who stay faithful. One is they know the benefit to themselves. And, and, he, and it was almost like he's saying, now neither of these are, are in order. It's not like they see this one first. These are both equally as important to the faithful. They see the benefit for themselves. But they also see the benefit for you. Why did your grandmother remain faithful? Why did your dad, after persecutions that he went through in ministry, stay so faithful for you, for me? Because every first person that we would define as the hero of faith, the first thing they would tell you is, this is the life I want for my children. This is the life I want for my grandchildren and their children and their children. 
This is the life that I want for my spouse. This is the life I want for my extended family. It's the life I want for my friends. They see the benefit. They know the benefit for themselves, and they want it for other people. That's why they stay faithful. You know how many times I've talked with married couples that said, 20 years ago, we thought about hanging it up. We thought about going our separate ways. And the only thing we didn't do is we thought, let's stay faithful to each other just for the kids. And the Lord worked out reconciliation in it, kept them together, and they were more in love after that than they'd ever been. Just because they stayed faithful for their kids. And then we think, people can do that in earthly relationships. Why can't we do that with the Lord? I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord because I want my kids to know the Lord. I want to stay faithful to the Lord because I want my grandkids to know the Lord. I want their kids and their kids and generations to follow to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I know the benefit. That's why I stay faithful. And I want the benefit for them. That's why I stay faithful. I want the benefit for the man that I meet on the street to the man I meet in the grocery store to the kids I used to teach in school. I want them to be faithful to the very end. I know the benefit. I want them to have the benefit. Why do you stay faithful? Abundant life and life eternal. And I want that for me and I want it for you. I'm going to ask if the worship team would come on up. We're going to close in, in a song, but I want to close with this verse. Living out God's dream faithfully to the end. If we finish strong, if we continue to just be faithful to the very end, one day, the Lord himself will say these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we want to hear? Isn't that our desire in this life? I want to hear those words. I want you to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Stand with me. Let's pray. Then let's sing this song together. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your faithfulness. Even when we have been so unfaithful, you have never, ever turned. I love when James says, in him there is not even a shadow of turning. He is faithful. We thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, for those who've gone before us that have been faithful, thank you for their example. And Lord, let us who still are here today be faithful to the end. Let us finish strong. Whether it's a day, whether it's a year, 50, 60, 70 years, 80 years, however long you give us on this earth, let every second of every day be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we want to all hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Jesus, for these messages. Encourage us, strengthen us, and let us take them to heart. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.